Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello listeners, George here. Now, before we get started with this episode of the Fulhamish podcast, we just wanted to note that this was recorded before the news that Marco Silva has just signed a contract extension that will keep him at Fulham Football Club until the year 2026. Obviously, huge news. Really annoying that we recorded before that dropped, not going to lie. However, don't fret. Jack and Joe will be doing an emergency episode of the Jack and Joe show streaming from 7.30 on Tuesday night. And of course, Sammy will be back on Thursday with the regular Thursday Club crew to dissect this fantastic news. So yeah, I hope that's put a spring in your step for the rest of the week. And sorry we didn't get there uh, in time today, but enjoy the podcast anyway. And yeah, come on you whites. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the show. Now, on Monday, it was a match that epitomises the story of our season so far. Marco Silva's Fulham looked organised, but lapses in concentration allowed Tottenham's son and James Madison to score either side of half-time to seal a 2-0 victory at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Whilst pundits bang on about how nice a bloke Ange is because he once said thank you to a bus driver, his sides are swashbuckling their way to the top of the table, whilst our side looked pretty toothless in the final third and not for the first time this season. It always hurts that little bit more when it's a London derby. But despite the result, there are some positives to take and plenty to discuss. And with me to chew the fat is the one and only Drew Heatley. How you doing, mate? Good eye, mate. <laughs> what a lovely guy. Oh, what a guy. Oh, he's got such a such a charming accent. Oh fresh god. I'd love air. to I'd love to have a pint with you, Drew. I would love <laughs> to have a pint with you. I'm also joined by Jack Kelly. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me. Ooh. Very well, he says. His voice tone says a different story. And finally, Mr. Dan Kirk, you all right? Doing good, Coops, doing good. Excellent. I believe you have some three-word reviews for us, if you wouldn't mind uh, kicking off. I do indeed. I went over to Instagram this time because I'm Ooh. rapidly falling out of love with X. So I thought I'd, I'd go to Instagram and see if it was any better. Uh, with your X or the app formerly known as Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> Unsurprisingly, there were a fair few three-word reviews related to our summer centre-back signing who didn't cover himself in glory at times yesterday. So we had Samuel Seastone with zero degrees Calvin, which I thought was smart. Luke Ashley Carter with Shirley, not Bassey, um, which is also good. The Shirley Bassey joke always, always cropping up whenever Calvin plays. And Kev Allen finding the other angle, which was don't blame Bassey, which I think we might discuss <laughs> later on today. We had the FFC hub with can't score goals. 
uh, and Woman Black with As Spur Usual, which I thought like was quite good. And finally, just one credit to give to Charlie Norton, who made me chuckle because he went with, I don't know how I can say that we need a right-footed centre-back and a striker in three words, which I thought was a very good non-three-word review. Yeah, they could have been um, clever use of acronyms, but I don't know how you would have uh, crowbarred that to, to fit within the rules that apply for the three-word reviews. Drew, it's... As I said in the intro, it always um, hurts a little bit more when it's a London derby. But I, I, just what were your hopes going into this game, right? Because Tottenham, obviously unbeaten in the league, top of the table. However, we beat them in the cup. And whilst they are undefeated, I feel like they often can flatter to deceive. And, you know, you had the likes of Sheffield United running them really close at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And you kind of went into this game thinking, all right, okay, well, there's a little bit of hope here, you know. But what what, what were you hoping to take out of this game before it ultimately uh, ended in a 2-0 defeat? I wanted us to give a good account of ourselves and uh, I wanted us to show a little bit of a little bit of fight and I wanted us to run them close. Um, but I don't think anybody necessarily uh, thought that we would. It's a, it, you say it's a sort of the sums up the season. It, it does because we're always going to be hamstrung by our inactivity in summer uh, to to one replace Mitrovic. And I know people don't like us keep mentioning his name, but when it's such an issue, you've got you you can't avoid it. Um, uh, and we're, we're always going to be hamstrung by that. And I think this this game showed it. You know, I think we were okay in parts. As we were all good on the counter attack, but we didn't have any sort of cutting edge or. Uh, we didn't have that, that that clinical touch that we needed, um, and that will be the case throughout the season. We will be safe, but we won't uh, we won't put up any trees. We're just uh, we're just going to be there, and uh, it, it has got it's it's as much to do with the fact that obviously there are going to be three worst teams than us. But we, we're, we're there or thereabouts, but we're not we've not gotten going to get any further the way uh, the way that we've not uh, acted on what was there in the summer clear for all of us to see. I'm afraid. Um, but yeah, so I wanted us to I wanted us to run them close, and we and we did, and it was very all very inevitable. Um, and I think that was the, sort of the chat in the in the pub pre match as well that we we kind of knew how this was going to go. Um, but you know, some of us were there to see to tick a ground off the list. Some of us were there, uh, you know, just because uh, isn't a chance to get out of the house and have a couple of beers. But none of us really thought that there was going to be anything on the cards other than uh, what happened the routine two 0 home win for for Spurs, sadly. I know that sounds awful and it's a real bad note to kick off on, but I'm sorry. That kind of was how it felt. No, I mean, I think you're being ultimately very realistic, Drew. I mean, JK, the lineup coming in, so we had Luke Hitchin for Reed, uh, Andreas Pereira still at number 10, Vinicius starting up top, uh, Bassi a right centre-back, which um, I'm sure we'll come on to. But I just wanted to ask what your opinion was of the way that we lined up against Spurs. What were your first thoughts when you saw the team sheet? I was pretty pleased with it. Didn't really have an issue with it at all. Um, I thought Lukic's performances in the international break sort of warranted him to start. He's on good form at the moment for Serbia. Um, his performance against Montenegro was really good. He got the man of the match. He got an assist for you know Mitrovic. Um, but yeah, I was pretty encouraged with the, with the lineup. Um, I thought Bobby Di Cordova-Ri definitely deserved to start after scoring against Blades. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because when you lose Diop, you're going to have to play with two left side of centre-backs and I thought that would hinder us in the whole game and it turned out to be the case. Um, no issues for me with the, with the lineup. Harry Wilson maybe deserved to start after a positive display for Wales in the international break but 
Williams go against Sheffield United. You can't really drop him after that. Pereira, obviously, with the assist. And obviously, we need a striker to play. And Vinicius has been the most promising out of the two so far this season. So, no real issues with me with the lineup at all. It was just uh, one of those nights for Fulham, really. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have been there last night, but I've, I've just I've just moved house. So um, my life is uh, somewhat chaotic at the moment. And talking of chaotic starts, I thought the opening sort of five minutes watching from the pub, it was just, it was so frantic. It reminded me a lot of the start to the Chelsea game in which we were really kind of um, under the cosh, not really dealing with Chelsea's intensity and press. And I, I thought the same rang true yesterday. Would you, would you agree, Dan, that we just struggled with Tottenham's intensity. They put us under all manner of pressure. We tried to play it out the back. They forced errors and it was just a very, very chaotic start that kind of continued throughout the game. Yeah. And and, I mean, you could feel it in the ground in the build up to the game. And also when, you know, when the players came out, Spurs are in such a great place at the moment and that momentum and drive that they've got, it really showed in those opening 20 to 30 minutes because they were so fluid in possession and in and around our box in that in that final third, they were so good. I was so impressed with the way they moved the ball about and we struggled to deal with that movement and that sort of flexible front three, four that they play where everyone can pop up anywhere around the area. And then, yeah, out of possession, I was very impressed. When you've got flair players in your front line like Richarlison, Son, Madison, you maybe think that hopefully you get a little bit of respite if you get the ball back, but all three of them pressed fantastically when we had the ball, which meant that there was just never any let up and that we, we really struggled to deal with that. I did think that we grew into the game, but I, I think you're right, Coops. It was a slow start and probably we were lucky to not have conceded earlier in the game. I mean, Jao Palinia, you know, how many times have we said this, this, this season was absolutely outstanding. He was a star man, but I, I genuinely thought from watching the pub that he could have been sent off in that opening five minutes. He was flying in and obviously they were all clean tackles. I don't even think he picked up a yellow, but my God, like my heart was in my mouth because you think if you lose him early days, then, um, then you're in for a very, very long evening. Drew, I think we should come on to the goal now. Um, obviously we had sort of Bassi's starting on the right-hand side of the centre-back pairing. Um, I feel like Tottenham's opening goal will be used as a case study for managerial school as to why it's preferable to have a right footer on the right-hand side of your centre-back pairing. I mean, let's not be too harsh on Bassi. He's been played out of position. But, I mean, my God, it was a, it was a calamity of errors. Yeah, and it's a shame because uh, Bassey's had a torrid time in North London so far this uh, this season. It proved again last night. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to blame him too much, but um, yeah, you just you wonder whether Marco's sort of tactical. He's just he's so resolute and not we when have we ever changed our formation really since uh marco's been here and and that's fine sometimes when it works it works but if you're going into a game where you know you don't have uh you don't have the personnel to to play the back four that you want to play do you do you try and look to switch it up now i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and provide uh too many answers to that i just i'm asking the question because you know we had a makeshift back four and peter rutzler had a really good article this morning on the athletic where he's basically saying you know these are the sorts of things that top teams will exploit and obviously 
you know, that you've got two competent centre backs, and you would argue that playing on the wrong side, you know, Bassi should be able to count to should be able to cope with that. But if you've got a, if you're playing a team like Spurs, it's how they're ruthlessly going to expose that, and uh, and so it proved. And it, it's in, it's incredible, isn't it, to have two almost identical goals in the same game, um, and that's not going to have been lost on him at the time either. Um, so yeah, I'm reticent to blame Bassi too much, but I just wonder whether we could have uh, maybe had a plan B. Uh, from Marco because you know after all that is his job and just say as well I think the the thing that should scare slash impress people is the amount of research that goes into top level football because it's one thing understanding that you know Tim Ream's not particularly quick and get, can get exposed if you get in between him and the fullback it's another thing to not just look at what a player is doing at Fulham but with Calvin Bassey we've never seen him play on the right for Fulham. We've seen him sporadically this season because he's not been first choice. And that means that Spurs have gone through footage of Calvin Bassey playing for Ajax, playing for Rangers. And that is like that pinpoint accuracy, picking up on those small details and going back and looking at not what he's doing right now, but what he used to do because you don't have enough information is so impressive. And to exploit that, I think is fantastic game preparation from Spurs. They, they deserve a lot of credit for that. Mm. JK, just on a counter argument, I felt that, obviously, before this podcast, I was reading all the game reports from the likes of, you know, the Guardian, Daily Mail, what they had to say. And they somewhat predictably jumped on and said that it was an absolute disaster class from Calvin Bassey and, you know, it was a terrible performance. But I I would argue that if you were to remove the two goals, which were obviously mistakes, he he had a pretty good game. I think he looks, you know, his physical presence is is exceptional is his pace in recovery I, I what do you what, what's your verdict on that um I think every time I've seen Bassi play this season he's been pretty impressive um it's obviously not easy to be sort of shifted over to the right hand side when you're left left foot center back and I just watched the, the highlights just back and I thought for the first goal it's not really his fault he's getting the ball away from danger um it's a little bit loose the pass I think the second one's definitely more um, is is worse. Um, gives the ball away in the final third, pretty pretty poorly, and then he makes a, a third error that I didn't even see. I was already at the ground, but I just you know it's it's difficult to sort of come in to the to that position and make up for for being a right sided centre back when you're a left sided centre back, and it's easy to sort of pile on because you know he was at fault for maybe both the goals, but. I'd rather just stick to backing a player um, because it's just going to dent his confidence and we're going to need him going forward because it's a deal that's not going to be back anytime soon. So I I, um, I think he's an impressive player and he'll only get better and he'll learn from mistakes. And, and, and he's been brought in to be the successor to Tim Reen. That's why he's here. So it's it's unfortunate that it, at the moment his the start of his Fulham career is being like pulled pulled around to fill in gaps. Uh, you know, never really getting to have a, a prolonged run. And, and and I don't suspect he will for a while because uh, Marco, you know, Tim Reen is a Marco guy and 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 proves to still carries on. Uh, you know, performing to a a pretty decent standard, but that that's why he's here. So to prick to come in with Diop being injured, it's just, you know, it's a shame for him, but uh, hopefully uh, we, uh, he can sort of recover from this. I'm not sure he won't batter his confidence too much. He's a, he's a big boy. I think he'll come back fine against uh, Brighton. Yeah. I, I used to think Jack's not wrong in the sense of that 
you can't apportion all the blame to him. And me and Archie spoke about this after the Chelsea game on the pod, that I think there is some amount of responsibility that has to be taken by our midfield as well. Because if you know that Calvin Bassey isn't as comfortable in his right foot, and if you see him being pressed the hell out of every time he gets the ball, I think as a midfielder or even Timothy Castagna, you've got to make yourself more available. And the two times that he gives the ball away, he's got, he's been left in a position where he's got to make a 20, 25 yard pass on his weaker foot under pressure. And so he's been done a little bit by his teammates. there, put into a position where he's having to, Create, make a pass that would be tough on your stronger foot with your weaker foot. And so I think it's, it's not fully his fault. And obviously people will say, well, just clear it and get rid of it. But I'm not sure I entirely agree. I, I see the merits behind playing out from the back. And, and the flip side of it as well is clear it to who. You know, we are not that, we don't have that physical number nine anymore. And if you want to lump it long, all that's going to happen is the ball's going to come back much quicker. And against teams like Spurs, the only way you're going to be able to negate them is by having as much of the ball as possible because the longer Spurs have the ball in a game, the more likely they are to kill you off and to, to get a second, get a third. And so by kicking it long, I think you're just resorting to, to giving the ball away more and then putting yourself under more pressure. But just on the counter arguments of that, Dan, would you not argue? I mean, I, I, I saw it as because it, it happened time and time again, when we played Chelsea, when, when we set up against the, um, the better teams, you know, the top, quote unquote top six sides and the sides that are going to cause you issues and we persist to try and play it out the back if you lose the ball in that in those areas it is so dangerous we saw it yesterday it's almost like a guaranteed goal <laughs> in, in in many cases so by clearing it and playing it long whilst we don't have the number nine who's going to hold it up and you know win those balls and potentially regain possession it does just relieve that pressure momentarily and allow the back four and the defence to reset themselves which will then give Tottenham more of a barrier to, to come up against. So I, I I would have thought that that would, I would have preferred to have seen that last night is what I'm trying to say. It does. It, it that's, it's very valid. I think there is a risk and reward in it as well. And you know, the, the, the reward with trying to play your way out is that we are much more likely to, to create something on the counter attack. We saw it three, maybe four times last night where we put together a really nice, quick, four or five pass move that saw us on the edge of Spurs' box um, from from our own box to theirs. And I think that's what Marco's trying to produce. And I don't think that happens if we go long because we don't have a player capable of dealing with it. But you are right. like There is more risk attributed to it and you've got to decide in those moments. And I guess, I guess that comes down to the player and I'm sure Marco has communicated that. I think that's a player decision in context of am I best off trying to create something here or are we trying to be safe and, and probably Calvin did get it wrong there is a point here about Calvin Bassey where we actually haven't seen much from him this season like he played the, the friendly against Hoffenheim where I thought he was magnificent the only other minutes he's got this season was against Arsenal which is obviously very tricky before that he was thrown in the deep end when we uh, were down to 10 men against Brentford he played one minute against Luton 82 against Norwich because that's you know that's a cup game. 20 minutes uh, the other day against Sheffield United, and then he plays you know the full 90 against the Spurs team last night. I think the majority of those minutes have been against, or, or you know, a, a large portion of those minutes have been against very tough opposition, or in a situation where we're down to 10 men. So we haven't seen the best of Bassi against opposition where maybe we have a bit more control in the game, where we have a little bit more dominance. So 
I'm hesitant to sort of bash him. Um, and I think we should just, I think he will obviously remain in the team. And hopefully in the next few games, we'll see a little bit more from him. Yeah, I don't think anyone's bashing him, Jack. You know, we're totally um, sympathetic to the fact that he was played on the wrong side and he's, you know, been thrown into uh, an uncomfortable position there. And I've no, I don't think anyone has any doubt that he's a player of great quality and we're... No, no I, was going, I was going off what I've seen on social media. A lot of people have, you know, been on his back. Yeah, I, I don't tend to look at that too much after uh, after disappointing defeats. <laughs> um, let's move on to some some positives. I heard that um, when Timmy Chestnuts got home and uh, was getting ready to go to bed, he, he shook his jeans out and, and found Richarlison was still in his back pocket. I thought he had a really good game. I know, uh, Dan, you kind of mentioned that uh, he could have perhaps given Bassi a little bit more support given the circumstances. But but Drew, Timmy Chestnuts, once again, I feel is is proving himself to be a very, very um, fitting replacement for, for Kenny while he's injured. Yeah, when you talk about uh, Bassi having a sort of a stop-start start to his Fulham career, uh, yeah, Timmy Chestnuts is having a a real nice one, just again brought on by injury. But, you know, I think we know he was brought in to be the heir apparent to Kenny as and when a bigger club comes in for him. And it just so happens he gets his early his early run due to an injury. But he's, yeah, he's acquitted himself well in every single game. And it's one of those one of those things that could have potentially been a headache and last term would have certainly been a headache and uh, hasn't been. So, yeah, long may that continue. I've really enjoyed seeing him in a in a Fulham shirt. Uh, it was a an astute uh, pick-up, I think, in the summer, um, taking, taking him from Leicester, certainly. So, uh, lovely to see and long may it continue for the boy. Dan, you mentioned when you were talking about uh, your desire for Fulham to continue to play at the back that we we did on occasion manage to turn um, you know a few counters that, that caused Tottenham some some issues, but ultimately I think that in the final third it was it, you know it was quite obviously our, our finishing that left a lot to be desire desired. What did you think about Awobi's introduction at half time for Andreas Pereira? I mean, I think quite a few people have been have been calling for this change. I think Pereira. Through no real fault of his own, you know, he's come back from a horrible injury at the back end of last season and um, very little pre-season thrown back into, you know, Premier League football. And it's obviously going to take a little bit of time to rediscover the the giddy heights that was his form last season. But um, do you expect that we'll see Iwobi start a little bit more? Because I feel like his impact was pretty apparent from the moment that he steps on the field, really. Yeah, I really like. Alex Wobi last night. I think he's he's a very good progressor of the ball. He re, he gets us up the field well, uh, and I think that's what he provides us over Andreas is is his ability to drive us forward, be a little bit more careful in possession as well. He's he's a bit more assured. I think Andreas at times can be guilty of trying things uh, that don't come off, um, and, and not necessarily because they aren't in his wheelhouse, but I think because he can sometimes be a bit erratic, and so his consistency is not one of his biggest strengths. And whilst he offers a lot out of possession, I think at times he leaves a bit to be desired in possession, which I think Iwobi offers the, the flip of that. He's very good at getting us forward. He played a lovely ball through to Harry Wilson, if I remember correctly, when when Harry Wilson raced through on goal um, and, and shat the bed, as did Raul Jimenez. Um, and so I, th- I, think, I, I think we'll probably see him come in. And whilst I think against... Teams that we expect to be better than, I'd like to see Iwobi playing a bit deeper. I think against the better teams, I wouldn't mind seeing him in that Andreas Pereira role because I think it maybe is time that we saw Andreas just 
start to drift in and out of this team a bit more. He's been such a mainstay since he joined that I think at times he goes a bit flat, he goes missing, uh, and maybe just a little bit of time out of the team, an opportunity to impact the game off the bench against tired legs as well, maybe might suit him and just try and build back his confidence because he, he doesn't quite look at it this season to me. Mm, Jack, shaking your head a little there. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. I think, I think that the only argument to that is that the Pereira brings a lot of set piece deliveries that are very, very good. Um, I think he took the corner last night to set up Paulinia. Um, he set up a lot of goals last season from set piece situations, but I do think it might be time to sort of change it around outside, um, uh, behind the striker, sorry, the number 10, um, we've seen a way play in midfield and, and maybe we see him just play, play behind the strike and Dan's right. He carries the ball pretty well. And, and when he's played so far this season, I've been fairly impressed with, with what I've seen. And I think it's difficult because Marco's always sort of been very strict with how he lines up. He, he likes things the same. He sometimes switches it in midfield and on either side of, of the flanks, but he's been very loyal to Pereira, which is fine. Um, but I think so far this season, Dan's right. He has completely gone missing at, at times in games and you sort of forget he's on the pitch. And someone like Awobi, who's got, you know, a bit, a bit more to prove. He's obviously had a couple of decent years at Everton, but, you know, they, that was an Everton team that were underperforming. So maybe he'll he'll really uh, be motivated to sort of get a start, get a goal or assist under his belt and, and, and kick on from there. I would be all for Awobi coming in for the next game, for the next few games and, and just maybe giving Pereira 15, 20 minutes here and there. Um, it's it's the cruel reality of the game. If you don't perform well enough, there are people there that are going to replace you and want to replace you. When you have two players on, on opposite trajectories, which you have at the moment, every time Ruobi's come on, he's performed. And we've been talking about Pereira's tail off for, for, for what seems like for, for many, many weeks now. Uh, it, we've got to start switching things up because, you know, yes, okay, we beat Sheffield United, but that papered over a lot of cracks and a lot of issues that are around. And I think it's time to start making these decisions. I was amazed that Marco decided to make uh, not one but two halftime subs because, you know, he seems to be, he seems to be arbitrarily wed to the hour mark. Um, I thought somebody <laughs> might have kidnapped him and replaced him with an evil twin. But um, it was good to see him try and affect games earlier on rather than waiting for this, uh, this, this point that he always waits for so um yeah i think uh when you have those players on on ones on the up and ones on ones on the way down i think uh switch switch it up it's time you mentioned the other halftime replacements which was carlos vinicius coming off for raul jimenez on the stroke of halftime which i thought was interesting i don't think vinicius played badly i thought he offered some very good hold up play whilst he didn't you know um create that much of a menace of himself. I thought it was certainly a bit eyebrow raising to see him come off on 45 minutes. I feel like personally it was a bit harsh and we should have let him at least play to the uh, the magical 60 minute mark. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for me it smacked of Marco starting to feel a bit frustrated with uh, with the options that he has up top. Like it's not it's not working for him. Like he's, if memory serves, I think uh, it happened the other way round not too long ago where he, he hauled off Raul early doors for Vinicius and I think now he's starting he, he's cutting the he's cutting the figure of like a, a frustrated figure sorry he's a bit more you know it's not he's not getting what he wants out of either of them and look you know we mention it all the time but like you know 
as fans, I think we re- we were sort of trying to find the best in Vinny and Raul because what we have no choice. We don't control the purse strings. We don't control the recruitment strategy. So we have to try and sort of hope for the best with what we have. And and if rumours to be believed, then Marco didn't push for it either for for a replacement. I, I sometimes I just wonder. I just do not believe. But that at half time made me think. Yeah, he's getting a bit pissed off now. Um, he's not. He doesn't know who's going to deliver for him because neither are doing it on a consistent basis. Raul's lack of confidence was displayed for our very eyes when he got put through beautifully by Harry Wilson. It was such a good ball. I know you guys were in the stadium, but it was just a beautiful vision, beautifully weighted. Like, that has got to be a goal. I'm sorry. How Raul failed to properly... I mean, he hit the target, but he hit straight at the bloody goalkeeper... Dan, you've got to be putting those in. Well, to uh, paraphrase Marty McCutcheon, that was his moment, wasn't it? And uh, and he didn't take it. Um, it was all set up. It was ready to give uh, to give us a little bit of uh, something to get excited for, for the final 10. Um, you know, he could have cut inside. He could have done anything other than just hit it straight at Spurs keeper, um, which, you know, just shows... That shows the lack of confidence, I think, doesn't it? You know, to just... To, uh, to place that ball anywhere other than straight to his hands. So what a shame. What a shame. And uh, now, it, I, where do we go from here? I'm not sure. Do we start Muniz up top against Brighton? Like, I don't know where else to go anymore because I've been firmly in that I hope it comes good for Raul Camp. I've been firmly in the it's Vinny season camp. And at the moment, they can... They can both just just don't talk to me. I don't I don't know where to go with either of you at the moment. I want to bang your heads together and uh, and say one of you just you know get the stick. One of you do something. I'm just I'm I'm frust- I'm flustered. I'm frustrated, and I I don't know where else to go. <laughs> I'm almost I'm almost sort of on the side of Team Raul for the moment that he does actually score. I feel like it will be like a sort of teammates lift him above the head, regardless of what the score is in the game. <laughs> like we could be three nil down and they'd be like, yes, yes, thank God it's finally happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, we've, we've, we've done this topic to death. I don't think there's anything more that can be said about it. I just hope that one of them gets that goal against Brighton, which spurs on this, you know, this uh, this run of form, but at the moment it's just I, I'm I want Bobby up front. That's what I want. Well, we did it against Brighton away last year. We know what happened last time we went to Brighton with Bobby up front. Yeah, we created nothing <laughs> apart from the last second of the game. Uh, as Drew mentioned, with the chance for Raúl, it was quite frustrating because that I think that was a moment where we really could have come back into that game. Spurs had made a triple substitution that had sort of jolted them slightly they looked out of sorts after that triple change and I really think if we could have got it to 2-1 they'd have been a bit nervous on the back foot they weren't quite together with it and we'd have had some sort of drive to potentially get something and obviously it's ridiculous to say oh we could have got a point out of that game if we'd have made it 2-1 but that felt like a real moment for Owl where he could have fixed a lot of the issues we've had in the first eight games of the season, if he could have fixed that last night and got that goal, it could have been a very different podcast and very different outlook at the moment. But I think it summed it up perfectly, didn't it? That that, that he didn't. Yeah, could have, would have, should have. Anyway, I think that's about all I have in me to uh, to talk about the Spurs game. But thank you very much, gents. It's, uh, it's always cathartic, isn't it? But don't go anywhere, listeners, because we'll be right back in part two with some of your questions. 
Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is. Particularly perfect for those 3pm kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com Fulhamish. Not only will you benefit from their already huge discount, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast. Welcome back. It's the Fulhamish podcast. George Cooper here. I am joined by Dan Cook, Drew Heatley and Jack Kelly. We got some of your listener questions here. Thank you to everybody who sent those in. We'll start off with one from Weekly Geekly. I'm going to throw this one to you, Drew. But while you're answering, Drew, if the others can have a little think um, and we can we can do a bit of a roundtable discussion on this one. What would you define a good season this year? Okay, like give, given what we know now, I think we're, we're over the kind of period which is the start of the season. We're into the grind now towards Christmas, past the second international break. Weekly Geekly says, for me, a cup semi-final, Marco signing an extension and mid-table safety. Now, they all sound like very achievable, um, desirable outcomes, whether or not they're entirely realistic. That's another thing. But Drew, what, what, what would you, at this point in the season, consider a success come May? Um, it's hard to disagree. I think realistically, and to put it into a bit more granular uh, detail, I'd say anywhere between 10 and 12 would be a really good season. And I think, you know, a Carabao Cup quarter final would probably uh, be realistic as well uh, if we can get past Ipswich. But much more than that, I can't I can't see uh, uh, us doing much. Um, I can't see us getting a run in the FA Cup because I think by the time that we enter the FA Cup, uh, we, we're either going to be needing to focus on the league. Uh, I think it might be a little bit sticky come, come Jan, uh, stickier than it is now when you start, you know, you're not paying too much attention to the table. So I'd say... Yeah, Carabao Cup quarters between ten and twelve, and I'd be I'd be very happy. Realistically, I think uh, we'll probably finish fourteenth ish, um, but but yeah, if we could get a little bit higher. But you know, it all depends on. Uh, I think it all depends on uh, in on January. Uh, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of talk about obviously everybody's expecting us to go in and right the wrongs of bringing a striker in in January. I can't see it, but with an international tournament coming up in the summer and some loan uh, spaces in the squad, maybe we could uh, pull somebody in uh, on a short-term deal who has got points proven that could fire us up to the lofty heights of 12. But other than that, I, I, I'm not too sure. Dan, any anything that you disagree with? Anything you want to add? I, I, I pretty much agree with what you said there, Drew. Except I would take a lower league position if it meant that we get a trip to Wembley that's that's all I'm adding in No I, I agree with Drew and, and unfortunately if you'd have asked this question in uh, what July the answers would have been wildly different and, and that I think it's a marker of, of what we've done since finishing 10th in the Premier League uh, and it is very sad that the conversations we're having now are so tinged with pessimism but I think I, I agree with you I, I think League position-wise, yeah, in, in that that probably 11 to 14 bracket, uh, I would like to say that a successful season, well, I think a successful season is that we don't have any discussions, wider discussions about relegation or threat of relegation. 
because I think that will mean that we've been comfortable all season. I think we'll do that. Uh, and given what we've done over the summer, I think that will constitute success because it gives us again another platform to build on next season. And then, yeah, cup fun. Let's have some fun in the cup. Why not? It'd be. I think they're looking at getting rid in the future of the Carabao Cup semi-final uh, two-legged ties. It would be nice to have one of those in our in our time as fans because I think that would be good fun. Think back to sort of playoff semi-finals that same level of fun uh so that would be nice uh, but otherwise it's it's there's not much to to tickle your fancy really with the remainder of the season there's a lot hinging on this carabao cup i think let's let's pick up some scalps along the way as well let's bloody some noses you know there's, there's still games out there this season that we're looking at thinking assuming we're going to lose but what if we pitch up at Anfield and pick up three points. Suddenly the mood in the fan base changes. What if we go to Stamford Bridge and get three points? You know, it's not all doom and gloom. It's just that in terms of what the season looks like as a whole, it's maybe not exciting, but those individual matches remain important and remain the opportunity to be big for us as fans. Every single, amen, every single game you go into in the Premier League, you've got the chance that it could be one of those games that you talk about for, for decades to come. So yeah, this, 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 Look at the positive side, shall we? Drew, the Cottage Tactico says, um, is Marco, genius though he is, too ta- tactically inflexible? When personnel issues or an opposition expose problems with how he wants to play, he seems reluctant to change things these days, neither ahead of the games or indeed during them when something obvious has gone wrong. Do you agree with um, Cottage Tactico that Marco can occasionally be a little bit rigid? Hundred percent. You saw it. You saw it last night. I mean, there was a lot of talk about you know he he um and I'm not saying suggesting that that it's possible to do it for him, but he reverted to um to five at the back and he uh, Everton and he he did change his style quite a lot and maybe that's what what did for him at, at Goodison Park. So maybe that's why he's now sort of saying to himself, I've got a specific style and I'm going to stick to it. But you know, I don't think he's ever changed the the formation certainly from the start in however many games he's had over a hundred games in the club. If, and, and there's an argument, there's the obvious argument of if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think um, sometimes it can be broke sometimes, or sometimes it's not optimum. And I think uh, at, the, at the highest level, you need to be prepared to fine tune and tweak things rather than, uh, rather than, you know, do wholesale changes. And sometimes I, we, we, well, all the time we haven't seen that. So it is something that can be asked of him. Um, you know, it's not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beat him to death with that stick. But it's certainly something uh, that he should be looking at, and we haven't seen enough of it. What potential switch it up formation do you think Marco could potentially deploy with what we've got at our fingertips, Drew? Well, quite. Yeah. Okay. So look, I, I'm not paid the big bucks. Uh, you know, he's he's the guy <laughs> in the hot seat. But I'm just I'm just wondering. Like, I'm not I'm not saying we should go five at the back or or do anything drastic. But I'm. You know, but you know, is there is there, and and it doesn't necessarily even start at the back. I'm you know up, up top. We've been everybody's been talking about uh, switching up in in that regard as well. So there there is options to fine tune things. But we just the point is we haven't, have we? It's it's uh, it's exactly the same. And uh, you know it, that question should be asked and has is now starting to be asked. Yeah, it can be tricky as well. I think the the lines get blurred a little bit between identity and inflexibility you know we marcus silver 
in his time as our manager, we have had a very strong identity in the way we play football. And actually this this season, it, there seems to be a, starting to become a little bit of an identity crisis because the focal point of that is gone. Now, it, it, then being flexible around that is tricky because you need to also have faith in your players that they're able to execute those decisions on the fly, having played in a certain way for an extended period of time. Now you look at the elite teams, most of them are flexible. You look at, you know, a pep side, you look at, you look at Deserbi's Brighton. They are, they make tweaks and adaptations to counter their opponents, but they have elite players within there who are able to react to those changes. And I think that is a bit harder for us. I, I think we've got players who are really well suited to this system and actually trying to change that is quite difficult. You know, you've got Polina at the base who has, is very much what he is, which is a, a midfield enforcer and breaker. You've got Willian out left, who is a more of a technical winger than he is a pacey winger. You've got Harry Wilson, who is direct and likes to cut inside. You've, I think a lot of our players, I don't want to say one-dimensional, but I think they would struggle to move into something new. And those things take time. And, and so that's where I can understand why we haven't seen wholesale changes and maybe the tweaks, and Marco spoke about it last night, the tweaks are more positionally and, and how we defend in general and attack in terms of we sat deeper yesterday and looked to hit them on the counter, which has been a hallmark, I think, of this season is being a little bit deeper, less in the face of our opponents and trying to get at them on the counter attack. Uh, it's just, I, I find it, hard to see what we can do with this current squad to really change things up in a big way. Well, I mean, you look at the team as a whole since Marco's come in and we've predominantly played the same sort of system throughout going through the championship, winning the championship and then into the Premier League. And if you look on the face of it, that's that's been a good way to approach that last season's Premier League season by playing the same sort of football. We got results out of teams around us because we were just a better team than them. And we would struggle against the top six because they had that added quality. But throughout Marco Silva's time at the club, he's taken a style of play, which has not only worked in the Championship, it's worked in the Premier League. And no one's been able to do that for Fulham since Martin Yo in, in 12-13. So to, to switch it up, obviously, you know, a fan base can get impatient about a certain system because it's not delivering enough goals or enough results. But ultimately, the the four two three one we've predominantly been playing for the last two and a half years, whatever it's been, has worked and is getting results. It just so happens that now we're without a striker that can score 14, 15 goals a season. That makes a huge difference, obviously. Um, so whether you want to go two up top, you know, and, and switch up a bit, you know, maybe. But predominantly, it's worked, the system under Silva, and it will continue to work if we have those players around the box, behind the strikers who create, you know, the likes of Wilson, William, Pereira. Because ultimately, last season, they delivered... I know it's been a bit difficult this season, but the results will come. I'm, I'm sure that, that we won't be in a relegation scrap this season. It's just a little bit flat at the moment, which is fine. Unfortunately for Fulham, there are very few opportunities coming up to try and, uh, or easy uh, games, shall we say. There are no easy games in the Prem, Premier League, but we've got obviously Brighton um, and then we have Fulham, Man U, Villa, 
Wolves, Liverpool, um, and that's right up until December. Graying sideburns, uh, Brian, who I had the pleasure of meeting uh, when we were out in the States for the summer series, absolutely lovely fella. He says, with Wolves aside, our run of matches looks pretty difficult for a while. Sitting on 11 points now feels okay, but will it be if we're going into Christmas season with around the same amount? Uh, which feels unfortunately quite possible up the Fulham. I mean, when the Christmas season rolls around, the, the games do come thick and fast. So let, let's say up until the Liverpool game, which is the 3rd of December. Uh, Drew, looking at that batch of games, so I'll repeat Brighton, Man U, Villa, uh, Wolves, Liverpool. Where, where are Fulham picking up points there? You think? Well, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's the uh, there's the on paper uh, argument, and then there's the uh, anything can happen in the Premier League uh, argument, isn't there? But uh, there's there's three on paper there at home against Wolves. You've got you've got to be doing it. You've got to be doing it. Um, but then you know, could we get uh, could we get another surprise result at Brighton? Possibly. Uh, I wouldn't fancy us getting. Could we get a result at home against United? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I don't see much getting out of Liverpool. I mean, I say realistically, he's probably going to get three points, aren't we? But you never know. You never know where we could get those extra wins. What we need is uh, Elizabeth's magic pad so we know which ones, uh, which games we can uh, afford to lose and afford to draw because uh, that would make me feel a lot more confident. But uh, 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 at the moment, we've done nothing to suggest that it's, it's Wolves if we're lucky. Um, but I'm not sure. For, for context and for those of you who aren't familiar with Elizabeth's Magic Pad, it's a, um, it's a, it's a table that she's drawn up that effectively gives uh, reasonable score hopes. I won't call them score predictions, but score hopes throughout the course of the season that would eventually result in Premier League safety. Right. That's that's what it is, effectively. So and I have to say, I've I've never looked at a tool or whatever you want to call it and thought I agree with every single, you know, every single kind of uh, outcome that she's she's outlined It is absolutely brilliant. She's uh, she's put it on the Telegram chat. So um, if you're on there, uh, try and dig it out or ask her to send it to you. I'm sure she'll uh, happily oblige if you if you send her a tweet. But yeah, it's a really good. uh, I've been checking it myself, just like, you know, ticking ticking stuff off uh throughout the throughout the season to to see as we're inching uh closer to safety but i'm beholden to it yeah i think that yeah. <laughs> have you have you got it printed off in your uh in your office <laughs> it's on the it's on the changing room wall at the cottage <laughs> yeah right got a question from me now before we wrap up gentlemen so i've not been to the swish new creatively titled tottenham hotspur stadium um however it does look like this sort of utopia in north london and there's this uh i wanted to know what the best and worst thing about the tottenham hotspur stadium is for for those listeners who uh weren't in attendance last night and ha- or haven't had the pleasure of uh, visiting this new place what, what's the best thing and worst thing about the tottenham hotspur stadium i'll start with with you, uh, Drew. Okay. Uh, best thing about the Spurs Stadium is the speed at which you can get a beer. And I'm going to say that the filling up from the bottom has been around for a decade. Started off in the Golden Lion Garden. You know, everybody I can remember in 2012, everyone sort of ooing and ahhing as you could uh, in the garden. You could get this little portable table with two kegs under it, and you put the put the cup down, and it filled up. It's nothing new. But it is quick, and I like that. I left at halftime on the on the whistle for halftime, and I had a beer within five minutes. So good. 
bad is the infrastructure. The travel infrastructure is terrible. Uh, you, you had queues of thousands outside Seven Sisters. And I know it's nothing new to anyone who goes every week, but it was it was like uh, All Points East Festival, like all these people just queuing up to get into the train. Um, I, I, I ducked into a pub with Farrell to, to try and uh, wait it out. And by the time he left, it was still there were still huge queues an hour after the end of the game. Um, I've never once had a trouble leaving Craven Cottage. You've got uh, you've got Hammersmith, you've got Putney Bridge, you've got Putney Station. You've got so many different ways to leave. I've never had a problem. Now, granted, it's not the same size as that stadium, but uh, once you get in there and you look and say, "Oh, this is a lovely stadium. This looks great from the outside. Looks great from the inside," um, but then it gets to eighty minutes and you think, "Oh, fuck, I'm going to have to like." going to have to leave soon or else I'm going to have another three hour journey to travel for six miles. Like I'm glad I don't have to do that every week. It's nice to look at, but practically not, not for me, Clive. The highlight was the sausage roll at half time. <laughs> Why did I know it would be something to do with it, the, uh, the food on? Our I mean, it was quite nice. Um, you're right, Drew. It was quite easy to get a drink actually. Um, yeah, the sausage roll was incredible. Great pastry, <laughs> nice pork. Um, it, it was cheering me up after a, a disappointing first half. I'm glad I don't have to go there every week. As, as Drew said, I think Craven Cottage is a much simpler place to get out from as well and, and get mm. home. Fair enough. I'll off, offer up one different negative that, you know, it is an amazing stadium. It's great to look at that stand. I think they call it the wall that you look at from the away end is insane. But Something that was really rattling me, and I drew will attest to this because I was stood next to him, was we were in handshaking distance over just a bit of like persplex glass of uh, the hospitality seats uh, at the ground. And so we had a load of happy clappers just sat beside us. One of them who insisted on referring to James Madison as Maddie, which <laughs> was doing my head in, and, and a, a complete refusal to, to, to sing, but some very polite clapping along with any chance that started anywhere else. And I find it really weird. Like it's so close. Like, there's no stewards. There's nothing. There's just a piece of glass. And I genuinely, you could reach over and you could shake their hand. And I, that was really irritating. Cause especially when you're, you're tuning up and you have people who are there for probably the first time ever, will never go back again, who are just uh, there for a good day and they're gloating behind you. It's quite irritating. And I didn't like it. Do they have a swimming pool though? That's what I want to know. Good, good question. Probably, probably not. But Andrew build one. <laughs> Andrew build one. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Right. That'll do for today. Before we go, Dan, would you like to do the honours of naming the pods? What would you like to go for? Yeah, I think given our record at Spurs and how predictable last night really was, Women Blacks, as Spur usual, is the apt three-word review for today. Thank you ever so much for your time, gentlemen. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, one and only Drew Heatley. Cheers, Coops. Thank you, sir. And Dan Cook, great to see you, as always. Thanks, Coops. That was really fun. And I'll see you next time, JK. Have a good one, mate. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Sammy will be back later this week with the Thursday Club, so do keep your eyes and ears open for that one. Until then, have a fantastic week, and I'll see you soon. Come on, you whites. Right.